All right, welcome back to another episode of the Magnus and Marcus podcast. Joined as always by John. John, how you doing? Good. We back. We ready to give people what they want. It's been a while. I know. About time. About time. <laughs> so uh, maybe before we uh, jump into this week's ta- uh, topic, I've gotten a couple emails actually requesting to know what we are reading at the moment because apparently it's a well-known secret now that we read too much oh jesus yeah i had someone ask me like how do you read as much as you go well simple do not own a tv and have not owned tv for about 10 years (laughs) i i mean while you're watching you know whatever things on tv the bachelor what survivor whatever (laughs) my nose in a book as someone who owns a TV, I, I appreciate that greatly. Um, I'm not not quite as uh, dedicated, I guess, as you. I mean, our, my maybe I shouldn't say this, but my college team has uh, bachelor watching parties. I'm pretty sure. So, um, hey, I'm not judging. It's okay. I'm not judging. It's, I mean, it's all good. It's whatever. Um, yeah, I was the kid who went to the library at lunch in high school. So that tells you a lot about me. See, it's so interesting because I don't think I actually finished an entire book until I got to college. I would say (laughs) the exact opposite way. So for all you people who hate reading out there, there's hope because that was high school me because all I did was run 90 to 100 mile weeks and didn't do anything else. So um, I was the kid reading like the children's like picture book version of the books we were assigned. <laughs> so it's if my English teachers probably wonder how in the world I'm writing books and reading books at this point. But um, so I guess to get to the point, what do you what do you got on the reading list right now? Oh, uh, let's see. Right now, I'm knee deep in investing the last little art. Which is a very good book. Um, not necessarily geared on investing, but more about thinking critically and thinking about thinking um, from a liberal arts perspective. So that's that's one. Adam Grant's new book, Originals. About halfway done with that. Uh, I always kind of read the Essential Rumi, the um, Sufi philosopher poet, um, way back in the day. Just little pearls of wisdom that's easy to grasp a couple times a day. Um, also where I lived in what I lived for by Henry David Thoreau. And then, uh, the last one that's kind of on the turntable is on being funny, uh, Woody Allen and comedy, uh, biography by Eric Lacks. So there you go. All right. Some good, good gems there. I've read the originals, but not the others. So, um, what What do you got, Steve? All right. So my, my, current books reading as I try and read maybe three or so at a time because I like alternating. Um, so I've got Letters from a Stoic by Seneca. So some good Stoic philosophy, which is some good ancient wisdom, which I always recommend. Um, what else do I got? I am reading Elements of Style, which is actually a grammar book. Um, that is probably the most simple grammar book there is. Very recommended. It's written by a couple professors way back in the 1920s. It's like a classic. And even if it's not for grammar, I just love how they simplify things. And then lastly, I am just finishing up Why Everyone Else is a Hypocrite. 
It's by a evolutionary psychologist, Robert Kurzban, who looks at the mind from an evolutionary perspective and kind of details why we do the things we do and why we think we do. So there we go. So hopefully that gives some people something to read about. And I guess jumping into this week's um, this week's topic, the psychology of the big breakthrough. So I guess talking, well, we just talked about a psychology book, but talking a little bit about how, how we have big breakthroughs, maybe how we engineer big breakthroughs and uh, the mentality that we should have. Mm. This is a, a juicy topic for sure. Um, you know, I think one, every coach and every athlete, you know, it was really keen on because, you know, we're coming off the cusp of the World Indoor Championships here in Portland, Oregon, and you saw some people have some really big breakthroughs and win some medals, and you saw some people who were favored, you know, maybe to win some medals, not even in the conversation. So, you know, I think it, it's a critical um, ingredient to any training recipe to understand kind of the progression to and to help athletes break through and kind of what that looks and feels like. I mean, because Steve and I have, I think definitely in our short coaching careers, had been fortunate enough to have athletes break through at a variety of different levels. And, you know, just defining what a breakthrough is for each person too is really, really critical. Um, because what might look like, you know, a subpar or mediocre time to the naked eye might be a huge breakthrough for that athlete in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think if we keep that top of mind, that's the thing that makes coaching so much fun is you don't always have to coach the champion, the medalist, the, the record holder. You can also get a lot of impact on that athlete who, you know, might be mid-pack, back of the pack, but is out there and doing amazing things for them. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think when you look at breakthrough, I think we think of like, you know, winning championships or whatever. But a lot of times it's just a big performance, right, for that individual athlete. And I think from a coaching standpoint, um, I think being on the same page of what the expectations of the athletes are is big because I've had it where athletes come in as freshmen or come in as youngsters. And I think they had a big breakthrough, but in their mind, you know, they have these super high goals, which is good at one sense and maybe bad at the other, but getting on the same page of what the expectations are, where they see themselves going and maybe managing those as a coach is number one. Um, probably the most important thing. And I know talking off topic, maybe a little or off interview um, podcasts a little bit, we talked about how often athletes achieve breakthroughs. I think once they get out of their own way or coaches get out of their own way. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of times that we we just naturally hold ourselves back. And I think because distance runners are often the OCD type A personality types that like everything in order and like to have this linear natural progression of everything is that sometimes we create that expectation around ourselves and then we we don't let ourselves flow to a breakthrough you know my favorite my favorite example or explanation of this is how many times have you seen an athlete you know 
running a race, they look down at their first 400 split and you can see like this, like their eyes pop open. Right. And they go from looking like they're running super smooth and looking good to there's this moment of like stress, anxiety, freak out because it's too fast. And they'll just go through this next 400 of trying to figure it out and, and just taking it off their instant rhythm. And a lot of times I think that's like that freak out moment is an athlete getting in their own way by thinking, Oh my God, I'm going too fast or this is faster than my PR pace. Instead of being like, instead of evaluating and saying, man, at 350 meters, I'm smooth. I'm feeling good. So it doesn't really matter what this 400 split is. I should keep the same momentum going. Yeah, I think they're, you know, it's coming back to result oriented approach and process oriented approach. And, you know, we as human beings, we live in the physical world. Physics is a great science because it's hard, fast rules when you're first introduced to it. Law of gravity, law of thermodynamics, boom, 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 super cut and dry. Unfortunately, though, you get into biology. And you get into like advanced calculus, which does have an impact on physics. And then as you kind of progress and get a deeper understanding of it, you realize they're just kind of generic rules of thumb. And I think when you realize you're, there are no hard and fast rules, there's generic rules of thumb, you can kind of let go of that control. And I mean, that's a lot of times a training plan, training progression, you know, you have these you know, set paces, you know, intervals, reps, sets, da da da, da. like, oh man, we're gonna get this stimulus on this athlete and we're gonna get him good. And it's like, well, I always have to remind myself, like, you, you know, might interact and interface with the athlete and actually have them doing a, a session one, maybe two hours total time, warm up and cool down, maybe three if you're like a marathon training, you know, warm up, cool down, actual workout. So that's less than, you know, a, you know, almost around 10%, maybe, or maybe a little bit less than a little bit over 10% of the whole day is spent on this session. And we tend to think they're going to get this like immediate return, like, okay, boom, it's just going to happen. Or it's going to happen a few days down the road, you know, try to get this overcompensation cycle to occur. And it's like, yeah, the answer is yes and no. The answer is, well, what do they do in the other 21 hours of the day that you don't see them? Because honestly, it's like 30% of the stimulus that you get from a session is the actual work of it. You know, the other 70% is what you do outside the session. You know, how do you monitor, you know, bad stress and good stress, you know, sleep habits, nutrition habits, just all these other things going on in your day um, as a human being in life. You know, we take to this theory that, oh, we need to be like, you know, the Kenyans or the Africans in training camp and, you know, distance runners should just, Run hard, rest, run hard, rest, and be like babies. And a certain degree, a certain competency, yes, that's right. But that's for a very privileged select few of people who are trying to compete for international medals at very, very high speeds. You know, the rest of us, you know, Division One, Two, Three student athletes, coaches, scholastic, high school, you know, other levels of college athletes and coaches, this is not not a reality. So, you know, to think it's solely that is you know, kind of foolhardy because at the same time too, at the speeds most people are running at any of these levels, you know, the pretty common, pretty mediocre speeds that have been ran for, I don't know, 
the last 50, 60, 70 years. I mean, hmm. you know what I mean? Like, no, no, like the, I, even in some degree, you can argue the average speed sometimes might have gone down. Now we're seeing kind of this influx at the highest level of NCAA Division One, where, you know, indoors people are running very fast on the distance side. But how much is that due to good training versus how much of it is actually due to emphasis, like a big-time emphasis on indoors versus classic athletes that might have not existed previously 10, 20 years ago? You know, I mean, now you have people like, oh, I know when I was, you know, coaching at a Division One school, you look at the indoor records, you're like, oh, that's low-hanging fruit. Let's go. Let's, hey, these are easy records to get, you know, or easy top 10 lists to make because – in the Pacific Northwest, no one has an indoor track, so you don't really run much indoor. I mean, it's <laughs> honest, honest to God, right? Um, and, you know, indoor is much more of a kind of a spectator-friendly season. It's not quite uh, the same experience, you know, that you get outdoors with the big stadiums and, you know, the adverse weather conditions, what have you. It's a lot more controlled environment. But even then, you know, you have to take a step back and say, well, what what constitutes a breakthrough? Because I've seen a lot of people punch a really fast time, set a big record, personal mark, school record, get themselves to the big meet, you know, whether it's the championship or, you know, the final, and then just completely fizzle at that opportunity when they had it in front of them. And that's not a breakthrough because to me, a really a breakthrough happens when someone is energized by a challenge, energized by competition, energized by something difficult. And you can see that a lot actually in the throws. Like I witnessed, you know, this this weekend, Michelle Carter, the last throw she had at the World Championship, she had to throw further than a gal who just threw before. Like, you had no other throws, this is it. And you got and she scratched the, her previous throw. So it's like, hey, you deliver or you go home with silver instead of gold. And like there was a hush on the crowd. And she's got in his own, man, she delivered. And, and it was an awesome moment. Might have been one of my favorite moments of the, the whole track meet um, this past weekend. Or I think back to 2012, you know, this, this this guy, can't remember his name. Sorry to throw community out there. But, you know, I think he didn't have like the Olympic trials mark or I mean the Olympic A mark. And he was leading the trials. But three guys behind him all had the A mark. And he had to throw the A mark on his la- very, very last throw. And it was rainy, wet conditions. The ring wasn't like, you know, too pristine. And the Olympic game mark was significantly beyond his current PR, significantly beyond any throw he had thrown that day. And with all that pressure, he was energized by it and had this huge breakthrough, you know, and boom, popped it. Perfect. Made it to the Olympics. Now, the breakthrough to me means there's then continued and sustained excellence after such a thing happens. So if you have this huge dip and they never get back to running that fast mark or they go into races scared or, you know, inconsequential to the outcome or have absolutely no bearing on how the race plays out, it wasn't really, it was a false breakthrough. And I think we all, we have to be very, very um, aware and very, you know, um, blunt if you have a false breakthrough, because to me, that means you've ascended to another level, like, you know, in a video game, like you go from level three to level four. In a video game, you don't go to level three and then look around level four and then go back to level three. You know, you stay at level four and then that's where you have to keep playing and keep trying. And that's the same mentality we want here when trying to cultivate and sustain and perpetuate future breakthroughs. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of times people see a breakthrough as a as a one-off performance to the next level, right? 
And I think the, the goal as a coach is to make that sustainable. If you look at breakthroughs, it's like, it's like a, a breakthrough and then a stabilization phase that you need to get. Like you have to make that new breakthrough as your new norm. You don't want it to be some, some, um, outlier that's just, Hey, you performed. I remember looking back a couple of years ago, I did a stats project where I looked at when people PR'd and then I think it was in elite women in the 5k or 10k or something like that. The year they PR'd and then what happened the next year. And for the vast majority of athletes, it was big PR. I think this was everyone who had run under 1505 or something like that for the 5k 1510. And everyone PR'd, and then the next year, the average time regressing was like negative 10 to 15 seconds backwards, right? And and you saw this like, well, this is a nice little peak here, but then it was like no stabilization for a couple of years. But the ones who went on to uh, to do big things were the ones who hit that PR and then maintained or got a little better or stabilized and then improved off of that. And I think that's one of the keys is it's really tempting to be like, okay, we had this breakthrough. Now we're at this moment without like doing the work to stabilize it. I mean, I know one of the things I like to do is whenever an athlete has a, has a big performance, it's actually not given to the temptation to keep pressing the training. Right. Cause I think what happens sometimes is, say you have a kid who's a 410 miler and all of a sudden he pops a four minute mile. Like the temptation is to be like, Oh, now you're a four minute miler. And like, now we need to do X, Y, and Z at this pace because instantly you're this much better. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, that's, and you know, this is the, the, the thing about quote unquote pacing charts. Yeah. You know, what it's a, you're a Daniels person, which most, you know, people use, I use it as a rough, estimate that's kind of right most of the time you know <laughs> and that's that's how i put it because when you look at the chart it's not always just a straight line across some people are better at the shorter speed and shorter distance events but suck at the longer stuff so then you have you know kind of an upward linear line some people have like a downward linear slope where they're really not too good at the 15 3k but man they can crank you know 10k um, half marathon type stuff. And so they run in the Daniel's pacing chart faster than the correlation. And some people are also what I call waivers where it's like, Hey, great 15 out, oh, but they just suck at the eight, but man, they ran a good five and oh, they suck the 10, but they run in like a solid, like 15 K and it's all over the place. It's kind of like this wave. Right. And so, you know, I think we want to make it simple and hard and fast rules. Like, Hey, you're now at four man mile pace. So now we got to do training this because you had this one outlier race. Well, the question is, was it in Palo Alto in early May when the weather is perfect and the pacing is perfect and everything is perfect, you know, or were you at some windy track in San Antonio, you know, on a hot and humid day and got it all done by yourself? You know, and so that to me is the difference. Like if you ran sub four solo with no one there, then like San Antonio, like, okay, yeah, you're on a whole nother level. Like, let's go. But if you got sucked along to, you know, a 359 because you're in like 
the armory or something, you just hung on for dear life and you were like 10th in your race, you might have to look at it a lot differently. And that's where as a coach, you have to understand, you know, the breakthrough is more of a mental and emotional thing in a way an athlete carries himself versus a physical, necessarily a physical breakthrough. And that's what we're really trying to do is the psychology. You got to get someone motivated and mentally and emotionally keyed to have that breakthrough and then sustain it. And for me, I like people to have a breakthrough really early if you can in a season because you get a breakthrough early, then they approach the rest of the season and their preparation for the rest of the season and their you know, peak meets with a whole different air about them versus you get that last chance qualifier or you get that real late time that someone pops off. It's great. It's cool. It's exciting. Oh my God, I just ran a crazy PR, but it's kind of like magic and they have no idea how it happened. They're like, oh, it just, it's just, everything was perfect that day coach. And then you, you, we fall into this perfect time trial trap Yep. and you know, people, college coaches, you know, please do yourself and mostly Coach Miltenberg at Stanford a favor, like, take it easy on the guy. I mean, he can only put so many people in that perfect heat at Stanford every year. You know, <laughs> otherwise it stops being perfect. But everyone's gravitating towards Palo Alto. You know, and it's tough because it's like creates all this stress for, you know, that coaching staff and that meet administration because that's the only place you can run fast. And it's like, last time I checked, that's the only place, like, pretenders run fast who can't sustain it. Because anyone can hop into, you know, something and hang on for dear life. But, I mean, you know, my favorite statistical analysis was one time when I was at University of Portland, we did a, a thing on people who ran, you know, the 5 or the 10K at Mount at Stanford, you know, where Stanford, Payton, Jordan, and then correlated that to the likelihood, you know, what their cross-country, you know, prowess was in the fall or previous falls. And then the light, and then we, you know, create a, a correlation where we thought the likelihood of this person making it onto the national meet, you know, is either high, you know, kind of uh, loosey goosey, or not at all. And every time, like the person who just popped off that fast time in the mo- nowhere, but really sucked in cross country, or was a non-factor in NCAs or even the regional meet, but was able to get together on the track. Most every time, it was kind of like shaky, or they wouldn't advance. But the people who ran fast but had a history of competing in pressure situations were the ones you could bank on being in the mix at a regional meet to qualify to a national meet. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a brilliant piece. I think I think there's a real misnomer to it. And I think there's a there's a danger in searching for that perfection too. Because I think you have to realize that athletes use the, all these races as a template, right? So they compare it all to each. They all, they compare every race to each other, and that helps guide their pacing, their racing, all that stuff. And what I've noticed a lot is if athletes get that perfect race, all of a sudden they compare every single race they ever do to this this myth of perfection. And then if you do that, every race is a disappointment, right? Or every race doesn't feel as good. You know, one of the common things I always remind my athletes is like you know what? The best races hurt the least. The, the, the bad races tend to hurt more. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think like, cause what happens is you forget that and you have athletes being like, Oh, everything clicked. Like I felt good. Yeah. I was hurting, but I was just cruising through it. Like it didn't matter. And then they expect to feel that way every time. And if they don't, they check out and just like use it as an excuse. 
like, oh, I didn't feel that good this time. I didn't feel like I was perfect. So I can't run as fast, right? Oh, that's that's my favorite thing to like just yep. completely, <laughs> you know, toss in the garbage as horse shit. I mean, yeah. it's just like, you, you know, it, it, you get the state of flow and you have that state of flow and the difficulty of the task doesn't matter because the discomfort doesn't matter because you're enjoying what you're doing and you're really focused and you're completely in the moment and it's a beautiful thing. But then, yeah, exactly that like oh my god that just felt effortless it was so awesome like dude i saw your face and you were grimacing the whole way like it looked exactly. pretty tough but they had this huge breakthrough in time or performance or comp you know placing in the race and you know their recent memory washed out that you know last four or five you know 15 30 minutes of discomfort and then then they expected oh i'm just at this new level and i can just i can crank that out any given day of the week it's not a big deal and I was like, no, no, it's not. But you have to just remember, like, when you are fit like that, you can even you can run fast when in a state of discomfort or even tired. And I think a lot of times we talk ourselves out of as athletes and even coaches, people being able to run at the speed of play when tired. And that's my big thing, too. I always remind athletes, like, we're trying to prepare you for the speed of play for whatever your level is. If you're... You know, and you have to look back and look at an athlete, look at the progression they could possibly have with the time you have to work with them before the big meet. And it's like, let's just get you competent to play the game at the front at this speed or say you'll play the game here at this speed. And so when you take that into consideration, you're really just preparing people for the speed of play of competency or competitiveness. It's a much different approach. Versus saying, well, every race has to be a PR. Every race has to be this nice linear progression and getting faster. You know, we, um, like a good example was Michaela Fricker, you know, one of the 800 meter ladies we talked about earlier, that coach, she had, you know, a nice steady linear progression of PRs all throughout her indoor season this year. Like indoor PRs of 204 in change, 204 low. She ran 203 in the prelims at USA Indoors and then 202 in the next day in the finals, you know, and she got fourth and it was awesome for her. But I was a little displeased because I thought she gave a couple places up because of poor indoor tactics. Now she's just a rookie comparing, competing against some savvy veterans who know their stuff indoors. But it was like, will it be a breakthrough? You know, everyone's, you know, a lot of people are really excited. Like, oh man, it was a breakthrough season. She's on a whole new level. It's like, well, the outdoor season will determine if that was a breakthrough, you know, indoor season. And if she can run at a high level of competency and at the speed of national class play, which in America is very, very tough, you know, that's going to determine whether we saw a breakthrough or we just saw a really good season and she just popped it off at the right time. And it was great. You know, I mean, if she doesn't make like an Olympic trials final, which will be very tough to difficult to do more so than a U.S. indoor final then you can argue it wasn't really a breakthrough because she wasn't prepared to compete at the speeds of play that she is wanting to, you know, compete at currently. Yeah, no, yeah. that's a, that's a great example there. Cause it's, you know, it, I think a lot of times as coaches or athletes or fans, like we see, we see like this one-off performance and we think, Oh, this is a breakthrough. And the natural assumption is that, that, that progression continues, right? I think we're very, 
as humans, we're very um, taken to just like linear progressions. And we tend to think that if things are this way today, they're going to continue this way tomorrow. And we're very bad at predicting the uh, the ups and downs and the, the turns and twists that occur. It's just not in our nature to to uh, recognize them. So I think in terms of a breakthrough, that's the key is does it sustain you to a new level of performance or does it not? It looks like it right now, but so much more goes into it, you know, and I think that's um, one of the things that determines it. So, and you know, another thing on breakthroughs that I, I always like to call upon um, is uh there was a what was it? there was a book written by Carl Sagan. Uh, I think it was called The Demon Haunted World. We had to read it for my doctorate work last year and write some essay questions as our exam and stuff like that. But there was this one section where he was talking about he just started listing breakthroughs in science, and I loved it because everything he listed came as almost an accident or a surprise as a breakthrough. And he called it the art of stumbling upon breakthroughs. And I think that that comes across, comes back to this topic a little bit in the sense that even in science, they have this, this notion that breakthroughs are this linear process and this natural progression. But if you look at how they actually occur, it's this, this accumulation of knowledge and this, keep trying different things, but a lot of times it's breakthroughs occur when you least expect them or in a direction that you don't expect them. And I think that same notion holds true in running or whatever endeavor is that you can't force breakthroughs. Like breakthroughs occur when everything kind of comes together and it just kind of happens and you just get on this flow and you just roll with it. It doesn't occur because you say, using the science example again, it doesn't occur when we declare a war on cancer or something like that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you can't be pinpoint specific and say, here, you're going to break through. It has, it's building momentum. Yeah. I think breakthrough is a body of work that builds momentum. So, you know, whether that's positive momentum or competitive juices, but there's going to be ups and downs along the way. I mean, Here's a, you know, a good example is my wife in last cross country season, you know, she <clears throat> came off a really, you know, um, dilapidated, ill-prepared track season. You know, she had been sick, injured, you know, she ran kind of, you know, so-so and it really wasn't the greatest start to 2015. And then in the summer, she kind of just said, Hey, I, that wasn't, you know, exciting. And, you know, she's, She's running and competing at age 32, you know, because it's a hobby and she really wants to do it and she's really excited and she just geeks out about it and she's having a lot of fun. You know, when that ends, she can, she's just done. Like she doesn't need to run. So I always admire of that. And she <clears throat> said, no, I, I really want to, you know, give cross country an effort. It's my first love and, you know, I want to get after it and just run really, really tough in cross country. And that was her goal. Just run tough cross country season. And, with that in mind, we just started running the summer, started doing workouts, and you know we went to issue workouts are going pretty well. And in August and September, and we went to the U.S. 5K Road Championships, and she just got smashed. Like she ran 
30 seconds slower than she did two years ago when she wasn't even doing workouts on the same level. And it was like her first big race in a long time and just got hammered. And we're like, well, <laughs> that was, uh, you know, quite an effort to travel across country to run, you know, kind of a mediocre time for you. <laughs> and so, it, but it really fired her up. She said, all right, I know I'm fit and it's just not going to come easy to me. Like I got to try. And the following weekend, she went and ran a cross country race on a, you know, legitimate 5K course and ran, I think two or three seconds faster than she did on a road race course. And it was, it was grass. It was hilly. It wasn't, you know, a flat pancake golf course type setting. So she's got fired up. And then that fire just kept burning the rest of cross country season for her. And she dominated the local circuit of cross races here in Portland and, you know, um, had a really good half marathon PR in Canada and workouts were great. And then, you know, her grandma went to the hospital to get knee surgery and then got a little, you know, bout of pneumonia and it almost looked like she was, you know, we're going to lose grandma. And it was, you know, before the regional championship race here in the Northwest. And, you know, she had won the state meet by hand, very handily, but then she was so worried about her grandma and maybe losing her grandma. She almost didn't want to race, but she raced for her team and da, da, da. And she got like fourth or fifth and just lost to like people she had beaten two weeks before by like, almost a minute, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. And everyone's like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? It's like, she was just not in a state of flow because she was worried about grandma. So we hightailed up and visit grandma and, you know, happy side note, grandma's alive and well and kicking butt. Um, and, but once it looked like grandma was stable, it's like, okay, great. Let's go and go to the, the club cross country national championships. And out of nowhere, she has this big breakthrough and she gets ninth. And then, you know, it's like, Oh my God, what happened? Like, Four years ago, she was 90th there. You know, it's like where, where that came out of nowhere. Well, she was building momentum all fall. And it, it, it came at and was born out of the ashes of frustration of a less than fun and desirable spring campaign. You know, and now it's like she wants to get back and race and train right now. But it's like, hey, let's you have this big breakthrough and you have some really high goals that you've never had before now. And that's tough. It's tough to run really fast, you know? So we need to wait and not do the normal thing that you usually do, which is, you know, open up with the college meets and really wait till May and open up with the more, you know, post-collegiate type meets when you're better prepared for that environment. Now, how she does in the outdoor season will determine if it really was a breakthrough, you know, this cross country season, right? or a sustained breakthrough. And that's, I think, you know, the slippery slope that good preparation has. It's when you're met with adversity, when you're met with that moment of, man, this workout went real shitty, you know, or, oh man, this, you know, this race just, I sucked it up, not freaking out and being like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. I, I magically not fit anymore. Um, you know, I think, Another good example of that recently is like, say, Tara Welling, you know, she comes back from a stint at altitude at Flagstaff and there's like a, you know, this window that's being developed or this known window of, for most people there, after you come down from about, if you're a sea level athlete from altitude like that for a stint, you have about three to 10 day depression where you don't feel that good. You just, you just kind of feel, Ugh, you know, and a lot of people try to push through that, but it's actually the, a time to step back and just make, take it easy. And, you know, we try to do a, a, we had a certain workout planned that was light that I felt was really light, but she just felt crappy. And I mean, she had just won the 15K road race championships in commanding fashion. So we know she's not out of shape. 
But she's just like, oh, these paces are so hard. Oh, I just feel crappy. I go, well, T, you're only like six days out of flag. You know, like it's okay if we just change this or we can scrap the whole workout. Like, I don't really care. I mean, we just don't want to mess it up. And then finally she comes back and like this morning actually has a killer session for her. I mean, she's running mile repeats faster than she's ever ran before. And it feels easy. She's running 400s, you know, nice and quick. Felt easy. But it was like, well, what happened? Well, we just knew why her system was a little depressed. And we just backed off and said, well, you'll feel, you'll feel better later. And, you know, it's 11 days since she came down from Flagstaff, right? So, you know, I mean, that's the kind of thing is knowing it doesn't have to be better or perfect or exciting or amazing every day. Like, oh, you just crush this workout. You crush this race. It's just you're going to be on this magical crescendo and climax to – infinity no as soon as you have that a, a peak you'll go back from a little valley one of my coaching mentors always tells told me like after you know an athlete has a standout performance you know remind them to enjoy the view from that summit because you have to go back down in order to go back up and scale the higher peak and a lot of people forget that they just think you're just going to magically float to the next mountain peak which is never the case yeah, no, it's very true. As I said, I think when you break through, it's very tempting to keep pressing on and you almost need to step back and give your body a chance to catch up because you do, you go, your body doesn't like <laughs> work on this. It's almost the theme of this podcast, work on this linear <laughs> cycle, right? This progression, it's, it's, you go through these peaks and valleys, this ups and downs. It's not this nice, wonderful, steady state uh, world that, that we live in. And I think, you know, maybe summarizing things up, if I could in any way, is it's, you're, we're almost saying is don't get greedy with it, right? Yes. Don't, uh, don't um, you know, don't push yourself in a place that you shouldn't push yourself to and realize what a breakthrough entails and don't try and say, all right, we're at this level. Now we have to take it to the highest level. No, it's about stabilizing that, making sure that you're, you know, coming to grips and come to a nice little plateau at that and then working on the next breakthrough. It's about cementing it, I guess I would yes. call it. Yeah, exactly. And I have to remind myself all the time, don't get greedy, don't get greedy. Because it's, it's very tempting and athletes looking good, they're feeling good in a session. They just might have come off a big PR race or a big win. And, like, and they're on cloud nine. Confidence is way up. And they're like, oh, coach, I'm crushing it. And you can be like, oh, yeah, let's, let's crank the last one. Let's just really get after it. Let's just throw it down. Or, oh, let's do another rep. Like, you just look amazing. But the thing about sport and the thing about life is you, you never know where the cliff is sometimes. You turn a corner and it's not a, a gradual decline. It's a sharp fall off. And you know, you just have to remember you you need to just keep your ego in check and only get greedy, you know, when it counts. And when it counts is race day because no impressive training log is going to get you to a final. No impressive training log is going to get you that championship. It's how you compete and how well you're prepared at the speed of play, at the speed of competitiveness for your level at on that day. And I think, you know, you can take that medicine and know there's a lot more value in stepping back versus, you know, running full steam forward sometimes and really thinking critically 
then you're going to, you know, leave the athlete in better shape than you found them or better shape than the season started. I always thought coaches should have a Hippocratic oath as well. You know, we should, first thing should be like, do no harm. Like that's, that's, we should, we should really have to take that as part of some type of credentialing. But, you know, I think when you understand that, the inexact science, the very kind of like touchy feely recipe that is, you know, uh, the, the psychology or philosophy of a breakthrough becomes a little bit more transparent. You just, you can't engineer it as much as you want to, as much as you like to, you know, having this peak, physical peak for a championship race is a nice idea, but it only kind of happens if you have the motivation of peak for the athlete, you know, a uh, psychology peak, uh, you know, the physical peak, and also just a happiness peak as well. So it, it's a little bit more down and dirty than, you know, I think initially presented or maybe presented at the more elementary introductory levels of coaching education. That's brilliant. I will let that be the uh, final word on this. <laughs> and as always, we hope you guys enjoyed our conversation and we'll try and get into more of a flow ourselves in terms of getting these things out. So, yeah, no promises. It's track season. It's wild and crazy, but <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It, it, it basically comes down to whenever me and uh, me and John can jump on Skype, and sometimes that few and far between, but uh, we, yeah. we do our best. So, but keep keep sending emails, keep sending tweets, keep sending uh, you know Twitter messages, you know direct messages to us. Like, you know, I you know speaking for myself, I don't answer in a timely fashion, which you know tip nine times out of ten I don't. Doesn't mean I ignore you. It's there, kind of the back of my database, and I'll, you know, like this week I got a lot of time, so I'm gonna like follow up with a lot of people that have been asking me some good things, um, because that's how we get better. I mean, I don't have all the answers. I actually have a lot more questions than answers. I mean, a lot, a lot more questions than answers. But it, you know, I, I think there's a lot of good dialogue to be had in the coaching community. So hopefully, this continues to add to the pot. But let's keep it going. Exactly, man. I appreciate it all too. And sometimes those emails and messages get lost, but they uh, they make us all better as coaches. And as always, a lot of our ideas for these podcasts come from you guys. So keep it coming. We we're just two guys talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> amen. All right. <laughs>